Well, this week I was back in my family's hometown of East Chain, Minnesota, for my cousin's funeral. His house sits on the hill overlooking the little dam on East Chain Lake. Back when I was a kid visiting my Uncle Pete and my grandma, I would spend many hours there down by the dam fishing for bullheads. Now, I don't know if you know what a bullhead is. It's a little uh, kind of a small catfish uh, kind of fish. Smooth skin, little whiskers, sharp stinging barbs on its fins. And sometimes in dry years like this, there was so little water going over the dam that you could see the giant schools of bullheads just waiting to be caught. And catch them we did. One day I decided that I would catch and keep exactly 100 bullheads. Now the rule in our family was you catch them, you clean them. And uh, I spent all day cleaning bullheads. Never again. (laughs) The other rule was you kill it, you eat it. We ate a lot of bullheads. Which is really weird to my friends who had cabins up north. I mean, they wouldn't even touch bullheads, let alone eat them. If they got a bullhead in, on their line, my friends would just cut their line rather than touch it. It seemed just weird that we ate bullheads. What's the weirdest thing that you've ever eaten? My mom uh, said that uh, when she's in the UK, she had haggis. Haggis. Haggis, I mean, haggis. It's sheep liver, lungs, and heart chopped up, mixed with oatmeal, and boiled in the sheep's stomach. And it's the national dish of Scotland. No thanks, I'll stick with bullheads. (laughs) Though to be honest, I haven't eaten a bullhead since I was a kid. What about you? What are the weird things that, that you've eaten? I mean, have you eaten weird things like bugs? We eat those as kids, pick up ants and eat them. They're kind of sour. Uh, I I know you're starting to wonder about me. Uh, (laughs) Mushrooms foraged from trees in the woods. Or maybe Harry Potter's Bernie Bott's Every Flavor Jelly Beans that uh, were popular a few years ago with flavors such as earwax, booger, dirt, and grass. I've had all of that. Some of it isn't half bad. But the apostle apostle Peter, now, now he was a Jew, and as such, he was much more particular about what he ate. See, he followed the Old Testament food laws. And a lot of weird foods, and in fact, even some common ones, aren't kosher. They aren't ritually clean. When I was walking along the the Jordan River once, it was crystal clear as it came out of the Sea of Galilee. And just like the creek in East Chain, you could see tons of catfish in the shallow water. Except these catfish weren't little bullheads. These were giant North African catfish. They were huge, and I wondered why people weren't fishing for them. And then I was reminded that catfish aren't kosher. 
You see, in order for a Jew to eat a fish, it has to have scales on it. And catfish don't have scales. They have smooth skin. And so nobody was catching and eating those catfish. Well, why all this talk about food? Because clean and unclean food, or kosher and unkosher food, is at the heart of the next story about Peter the leader in the book of Acts. After last week's story, where Peter and John had healed a lame man and wouldn't stop talking about Jesus to everyone, well, the high priest doubles down and begins to persecute the Christians. And they are are jailed. They're told again not to, to speak in the name of Jesus. Finally, Stephen, a faithful Christian, is murdered for his faith. And the Christians flee. They leave Jerusalem. And they scatter about. This is the time when the Pharisee Paul Saul at that time. This is the time when he started going hunting Christians down. You might remember that story, but we're not going to get into it today. We can catch that sometime later, because we're not talking about Paul today, we're talking about Peter. Peter and the other Christians have fled. In chapter 10, Peter has left Jerusalem, and he's staying at Joppa, which is about where modern Tel Aviv is. And he is about to get a visit from a most unlikely person, a commander of the Roman army, a centurion, who also happens to believe in God. There's an interesting combination. And God has sent this commander, Cornelius is his name, he sent this commander to Peter. And we pick up the story in verse 9 of chapter 10 of the book of Acts. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city that is uh, people sent from Cornelius, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Peter was praying. He fell into a trance, a visionary state, a ravishing of the soul, as one translation put it. In other words, he's in a state to hear God. It's not just a a weird dream. This is a message from the Lord. And God tells him to do something that that is against everything he'd ever been taught. He's commanded to eat something weird. Worse than weird, he is commanded to eat something that is unclean, unkosher. A direct violation of the Old Testament laws. God has told him to break God's laws, and it it just blows his mind. He 
He can't wrap his head around this. Now remember back last week when, when Peter told, told the Jewish leaders who commanded him not to talk about Jesus, remember how he told them, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You decide. Well, now he's got to live up to his own words. Will he listen to God and eat or not? Surely not, he protests. These things are unclean. But God says, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Because of this and other scriptures such as chapter 10 in Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, where Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He's talking about foods there. And Jesus' own words in, in Matthew chapter 15, where he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes someone unclean. It's what comes out of our mouth and out of our hearts and out of our minds that make you unclean. It's because of lessons such as this that Christians eat catfish and Jews don't. Or cheeseburgers or shrimp or bacon, all those things. All these are considered unclean by the Old Testament standards. But God says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And here in Acts 10, he talks about all those foods that Peter wouldn't eat. And he declares them clean. But you know, God is concerned about more than food. In fact, this whole lesson about clean and unclean food is really about clean and unclean people. When God says, don't call anything unclean that I have cleaned, he's mostly talking about the way that we treat one another. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter could have eaten a catfish po' boy with shrimp cocktail, pork ribs, and a cheeseburger, and it wouldn't have surprised the rest of those in the house as much as inviting these Romans, these, these soldiers in as a guest. You see, just as there was clean and unclean foods in their minds, there was clean and unclean people. The Jews were clean. Non-Jews, the Gentiles, were unclean. And Roman soldiers, the ones who were occupying their country, and, by the way, 
the ones who killed Jesus, they were really unclean. Jews like Peter would have nothing to do with those kind of people. You would never invite someone like that into your house. I wonder, is there someone you wouldn't invite into your house because of their background? A pastor friend of mine was appointed a number of years ago to a rural cross-cultural appointment. And I'm not saying that he was from the city and, and the church was in the country, although it, that was the case. What I'm saying is that this cross-cultural appointment was because he was the very first pastor in that church who was not of the same ethnic background as the congregation. One day, soon after he arrived, he was out visiting and introducing himself to the members of, of the congregation. And he knocked on the door of, of a house and was greeted by a gruff old man. When he introduced himself as the new pastor, the man invited him inside. And somewhere in the conversation, the homeowner said, you know, you're the first white man to ever set foot in my house. And if you weren't my pastor, I would have shot you on the doorstep. Now, years and years of animosity and conflict had led this man to look at people like my friend as enemies. Awful, unclean, an outsider to be left outside, dead if necessary. Peter was brought up with that kind of thinking about the Romans. But after his dream about the unclean food, he got the message. He learned, as Paul did, that, that God does not show favoritism. God shows no partiality. Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 28 that there's neither Jew nor Greek, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The kind of divisions that we make, whether they be a whether they be about race or, or nationality or, or city rural or Vikings Packers, those kinds of divisions that we make, they all don't matter when it comes to Jesus. All of us have been made in the image of God and God calls everyone to him. God says, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Open the door, as Peter did, and invite them in. Verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It's against our law. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without 
raising any objection, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius explains to him how an angel told him to hear what Peter had to say. And we learned last week that that Peter's no longer afraid to tell what he has seen and heard of Jesus. And that he does. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, Peter says. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God had appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. A day before, Peter wouldn't even have eaten a Roman pork chop, and now he welcomes a Roman soldier as a brother in Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. People of all backgrounds are drawn to Jesus, and old divisions don't matter anymore. Ephesians 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have run have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. You may be on different sides of an issue with someone. You may live on different sides of the track, so to speak. But our connection with each other in Jesus is bigger than any difference, bigger than any division. Even the division of a painful breakup. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, may be able to, uh, to welcome somebody as a brother or sister in Christ that doesn't look like them, but, but it's hard to do it if it's somebody that maybe has hurt us. Today in the Methodist, Methodist churches, um, we talk a lot about John Wesley because he was the one whose work uh, led to uh, the Methodist church. He's one of my heroes in the faith. And though his ministry would start the Methodist church, back before his heart was strangely warmed, back before God had changed his life, he was serving as a missionary in Savannah, Georgia, there in colonial times. And there, John Wesley took a liking to a woman named Sophie Hopkins. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but Sophie 
and, and John had a falling out. Uh, it's said that, that John kind of dilly-dallied uh, in making a proposal. And, and Sophie got tired of waiting. And so she up and married another guy, which really hurt John. Um, it also made him mad. So when the next time that, that she was in church and he was serving communion and she came up for communion, he wouldn't serve her. He felt she was unworthy of receiving communion. Now, she was from a family that was uh, quite high in the society there, a lot of power, and they wanted John arrested. In fact, he probably would have been arrested, but he hightailed it out of there back to England. A broken man, but one finally open to the Spirit. And it was after then that God changed his heart. And today in the Methodist churches that are a part of John's legacy, you don't have to be worried about being turned away for communion. I'm not going to sit here and judge whether you're worthy or not, whether you are from the wrong side of the tracks or not, whether you're good enough or not, because none of us are good enough. None of us are worthy. But Christ died for us all. His blood to wash us clean. And so, who am I to call unclean what God has cleansed? And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to share in communion today, then I invite you to do so. Same way as if you're at home. If you're at home, I, we're going to have communion in just a few minutes. Take some bread, take some juice. You can share in communion with us. You will not be turned away. We're not serving bullhead today. You can be glad of that. But we are serving something weird. We're serving Holy Communion, the body and the blood of Christ, and a little piece of bread and a little cup. It's very strange. It's weird. But of all the, the weirdest things you've eaten, this is also the best. Because it connects us to Christ and to each other. The divisions between God and us, between us and each other, are broken down, and we become one in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, sitting down at the table together, just as Peter and Cornelius were brought together by the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Oh God, we don't all look alike. We don't all come from the same background. We don't all eat the same foods. We don't all think the same way. But you've called us together to make us one in following you. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Blow through our hearts. Break down dividing walls, even hurts that we might have experienced in personal relationships. And Lord, once again, 
May we feel the refreshment of your spirit and of this sacrament. Oh Lord, we remember how you took the bread and and there was division even among that table, but God, you broke it. You gave it to everyone and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I invite you now to take the little wafer off the top of the cup that you might have here or the bread that you have at home. We commune together. One of the the little blessings of having these cups as irritating as they are is that we all get to receive communion at the same time. And what a beautiful thing that is. We're bound together as one as we eat together as one. So take and eat the body of Christ for you and for you and for you. And after supper, he, he took the cup and he passed it around and all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And so we do remember how Jesus shed his blood to wash each one of us clean from whatever our sins So take now the cup and drink. It's a cup for you. Lord, thank you that you made a place at the table for us. Thank you that you have made so many places at the table. Our guest list might look different from yours. Forgive us, God. Thank you for reaching out to each soul, for offering life, for offering us your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.